Let's hope we dream big Cause all we take with us is the things we did Dream big, dream big, yeah Just dream big, dream big, yeah That's what my papa said Dream big, mama told me dream big Hello, hello, hello. My name is Matthew Pfeiffer. Welcome to my live. And on this live, I talk about uh, relationships. We talk about healthy relationships. We talk about self-development and emotional intelligence. So thank you. Welcome. Uh, and that's a lot of reason why my platform has changed a little bit is that a lot of people have, uh, you know, they've grown. You know, when I very first hopped on here, I talked a lot about narcissism, talked a lot about uh, toxic relationships, and I still talk about it here and there. Um, but now, you know, for the, uh, the majority of people who've been following me from the beginning, you know, at some point in time, we got to kind of start getting our life back together and we got to start putting the pieces back together. We got to get back out on the dating scene. We got to, uh, start, uh, getting our finances back in order. Um, because a lot of times, give me a high five. If you have met someone or if you've known someone, or if maybe you followed some people that you notice that they've stayed stuck in that situation, even though they've left, even though they've gone through the divorce, even though they've gone through the breakup, they left the home or had the person remove them from the home, but you still notice they're still stuck in the same system, in the same mindset as though they were still uh, in the relationship. And so that's one of the goals that I, that I try to make sure that people who either follow me or work with me, that we don't stay stuck in those type of situations um, or repeat those same patterns over and over again right and that's not that's not to criticize anyone or anything like that uh, we all go through our own um, our own um, journey um, but one of the goals is to make sure that we don't stay stay or repeat those same patterns uh, self-healing is one of the hardest things yes it is the reason why the reason why um, is uh, the reason why healing is so difficult is that we have to begin to take responsibility. And a lot of times what, we're, what we've been doing, I don't mean this like in a negative way, but we've been avoiding responsibility, being responsible for our own feelings, being responsible for our own emotions. Uh, one of the core essence of boundaries is who's responsible for what. And uh, I always talk about self-love, self-healing. Uh, and part of self-love is self-respect and, so, and self-responsibility and holding yourself accountable. And we have to acknowledge that there were some things about us that we that felt comfortable being in those toxic environments and in those toxic situations. And that is very uncomfortable for us to look within and to acknowledge that the abuse wasn't our fault, but that the healing is 100% our responsibility. Uh, I'm still struggling horribly and it's been five years of back and forth with him. That's the reason why you're still struggling. So uh, one of the things that we have to understand is that oftentimes we when we're still struggling and it's been several years, a lot of times what happens is that we're not accepting people for who they really actually are. Notice one of the things that you said, it's been five years, you're still struggling and you're still going back and forth with him. At some point in time, we have to accept him for who he is. Accept him for who he is. What happens a lot of times is that people will look at someone who is mistreating them. I don't know your situation. I don't know the back and forth. I don't know what that's about, but... Right? I don't know if there's there's infidelity or whatever, whatever the case is, but we have to get to a place of acceptance. A lot of times what we do is that we have unrealistic expectations of who people are. We want them to be somebody else. We want them to treat us very differently. We want them to change. I did a whole seminar, whole webinar on the reasons why we want other people to change. And the reason why we want other people to change is because it takes away 
our responsibility to make the difficult decision. We would love for for people who who have struggled with infidelity, we would love for them to stop seeing the other person and stop the infidelity. We would love people who have been in an abusive or toxic situation, would love for them to stop abusing, would love for them to, to start treating you with more respect because then guess what? It makes it more it makes it easier for you to not make difficult decisions. You don't have to be the bad guy in that situation. You don't have to go through the divorce. You don't have to go through the breakup. But sometimes we don't have a choice because that person won't change. And so what happens in a lot of situations is that we have to accept the person for what we actually see. And so oftentimes people go back and forth because people will pre will present what we want them to, what we, the image that we want them to present. And so then we'll accept them for something that that's, that's false, right? That's uh, that, that isn't true. Right. And this is the reason why we have to understand that one of the things I tell people all the time, the true test of a relationship is not when things are going good. It's when things, when you have disagreements is when things are not going very well. Can this person still respect you? Can this person still communicate through difficult times or are they now uh, now is that an excuse for them to cheat now is that an excuse for them to mistreat you now is that an excuse for them to abuse you or vice versa does this now become highly combust com combustible with uh people throwing things and breaking things and shouting and all this kind of stuff because that's that's what your relationship is and so we have to get to a place of accepting that right and if those things can't change if you don't see any uh any true change to that right then uh, then instead of going back and forth, we need to accept the fact that there, that this relationship isn't healthy. Let's see. What other questions do we have? Uh, I don't know. Sometimes self-validation is more dangerous than someone giving constructive criticism. There's nothing wrong with constructive criticism. We actually need both. Here's something that's not talked about enough is that yes, we do need self-validation, but the reality of it is, is that we, we also need other people. One of the things that I don't like about, about the toxic relationship coaching and industry, so to speak, not just on TikTok, but just overall, is that you hear a lot of people talking about cutting people off all the time. Set boundaries, cut people off the minute that, that they don't validate and the minute that they, that they give constructive criticism, things that... Uh, don't appeal to you. The reality of it is, is that you need a balance of both. Yes, we do need to validate ourselves, but we also, guess what? We also need other people in our life. And yes, sometimes that involves constructive criticism, keyword constructive. Just because someone has some constructive criticism doesn't mean that they're toxic, doesn't mean that they don't like you, doesn't mean that they don't love you, but we have to understand the difference between constructive criticism and someone who is being disrespectful, right? So you can give someone constructive criticism. You hear people saying like, I'm just brutally honest. You don't have to be brutal to be honest. You can be honest with someone and still do it in a very loving and a very caring way. And oftentimes because we, the, the reality, when we talk about this self-validation, this is a really good comment that kindness came up with. Um, when we are self-validating, we know that we're a flawed person. We understand that we have flaws to ourselves. 
And so oftentimes people will use those things as a way to disrespect us. We don't, we don't have to be disrespected, but yeah, we do need to be open to constructive criticism and understand how uh, healthy relationships, how the healthy dynamic of a relationship will work. My boyfriend calls me controlling for giving an opinion or advising him about an issue. That's not control. Um, and that's, that's the tough part is that sometimes people will label things controlling or label, like some people will label healthy boundaries controlling. This is the reason why we have to understand the difference, right? We have to understand the difference between what a healthy boundary is, what, uh, what is control, what is, what is controlling? Because just because someone says that something is controlling, doesn't mean, doesn't necessarily mean that it is what to do when dad lied and got full custody. Uh, I feel like giving up, it's taken a huge toll on me. So, um, I would consult a lawyer. I don't know. I don't have all the details. Um, I don't have enough details to give you, to give you, um, good enough clarity. But, um, one of the things that happens a lot of times in custody is that yes, people can lie, but, and I don't know the situation, so I'm not sure. I'm not saying that this is what happened with you. This is just what I typically see. We have one person in court who is lying to the court. We have another person that might not be helping the situation out very much. So we have one person who's lying and then we have another person who might be reacting poorly. Again, not saying that that's the, that's the case here, but that's, it's very common for me to see that, right? So we have another person who might engage, might continuously go back and forth with that person um, and they might react out of anger and might speak to that person poorly. They might be, um, and there's a number of reasons why someone might do that. doesn't mean that they're narcissistic or anything like that. But we, when we have the person who's lying and then we have another person who's reacting poorly and that person is the person who's a liar is able to go into court and say, see your honor, I told you they were like this and they were, they're able to prove their point because of your poor reactions. And sometimes you, sometimes you see that. So, uh, I don't, uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not, ad, I'm not advising for you to give up, but I definitely would talk to a lawyer, um, to see, see how you can kind of turn that around. My boyfriend calls me, uh, just read that one. Uh, why does my narcissistic mom tell everyone I'm mentally ill? Uh, when I try to move out, she tries to stop it. That's the reason why she tells everyone that you're mentally ill because it's, uh, it's out of control. Um, for some reason, it sounds like your mom wants, uh, wants to have control. There's a really good book. Uh, there's two, for those of you who are struggling with this type of dynamic, there's two really good books I would highly recommend. One is mothers who can't love. And then the other one is wizard of Oz and other narcissists. So uh, when we're talking about whether uh, this happens, I would say most often with a narcissistic mother, they have to prove that there's something wrong with you, right? Because if you are capable of being in, we have to remember what, what are narcissists looking for? They're looking for control, right? They're looking for control. And, the, and oftentimes that means that they want you to um, be dependent on them. Well, one of the fastest ways to make you feel dependent is to make you feel like there's something wrong with you. Like, guess what? Surprise. Like you have some sort of mental illness, even if that were true, I'm not sure. I'm not saying that it is or isn't true, but there's plenty of people who have some, some form of mental illness who are perfectly fine being on their own. 
right? I would say I, I can make a strong argument that majority of people with a mental illness um, are able to be out on their own. So the two don't have to be true in this situation, but um, it sounds like she's trying to use this as an excuse to, uh, to try to make you feel like you're dependent on her and also try to um, try to get people around you to agree with her and, and possibly get into your ear as well, as well. The other thing that I, the other book I would recommend in a situation like this is the passive aggressive covert narcissist. The reason why I recommend that book in this situation is that um, covert narcissists do a really good job, a very good job, and I don't—I mean a very good job in a bad way, of planting seeds of doubt. They just plant little seeds in, in other people that are going to help you doubt yourself. So in a situation like this, your mother may go to your friends, your family. I think my, I think my son, I think my daughter is mentally ill. You know, I think that, and that's the reason why they need to stay with me, right? And what happens is that you don't realize that that person is going around to your friends, your family, maybe your coworkers, and planting these, these seeds of doubt. And um, and they might say something like, "Just check with them, see if they're okay," because I think they're going through a really deep depression, and blah blah, blah and, and just planting seeds of doubt. You again have no idea that they're saying these things, and they don't give them enough detail. They just plant seeds of doubt. And so you go, so your uh, narcissistic mother might say something like, is everything okay with you? I'm just concerned. It's just the way that you've been acting, the way that you've been looking. I don't know. Like, are you sure you want to be out on your own? You can make it. I mean, you sometimes, sometimes you sleep in a little bit too long and they might find one or two little flaws or faults with you, which everyone has. And they will try to pinpoint that and try to uh, make it a really big deal. And again, meanwhile, they're also planting seeds of doubt with everybody else. So you're like, leave me alone. I'm fine. And then guess what? You go to your friend's house. You had no idea that they were talking to your mom because she plants that seeds of doubt and those seeds of doubt and says, you know, don't say anything. I don't tell them I said anything. Just just check on them. Just see if they're OK. Then you go to those people and then you go to your friends. You're hanging out with them. Is everything OK with you? I don't know. I'm just kind of concerned. And they're echoing the same exact thing that your toxic parent or your toxic, toxic mother did. And so then what happens is that it causes you to begin to doubt yourself and you begin to then become even more reliant on that, on that narcissistic mother. It's very, very common. And so if you want to know more about that process, uh, there's the book is called the passive aggressive covert narcissist. Oftentimes people talk about um, when you're going through social media, people are oftentimes describing um, more of a grandiose narcissist, the one that likes to be the center of attention, the one that creates drama and has no problem being the center of that drama, where a covert narcissist, which typically leans more towards a narcissistic mother or a narciss narcissistic woman, loves to create the drama, but then they sit back and then they watch all of the drama unfold, right? So you have to understand... Uh, understand the differences and uh, so, so then you're able to maneuver it. But one of the things uh, I tell people who might be in those type of situations is to step outside of that bubble. Start having conversations with people who have no idea and have no, no interactions with any of those people. Step outside of that web, right? And have conversations and then check in with people because it's very, uh, it's cult-like behavior. And so you want to step outside of that bubble and when you step outside that bubble, all, all of a sudden, you're going to have a lot of the validation that you need and you're going to start to notice 
that uh, that there's uh, a difference, right? That people are going to be able to point uh, point out a lot of the flaws and a lot of the holes that are happening in that situation. How to deal with someone who is inconsiderate and rude that affects your energy? I don't know the situation. I don't know if you're talking about like a child. I don't know if you're talking about a coworker, a friend, right? But if you're talking about someone who's inconsiderate and rude, there's a couple of different things that you can do. You can take an inventory of are they inconsiderate and rude in certain situations like you know let's just say this is a friend and this is not someone that you're living with um, if they're inconsiderate and rude like after they've been drinking if they're inconsiderate and rude when they're tired if they're in there's a lot that goes into this a lot of times people they will take something like this and people especially on social media especially here on TikTok, will say this and oh my god they're a narcissist right it doesn't mean anything right that just sometimes they're inconsiderate and rude so are they inconsiderate and rude to everybody are they inconsiderate and rude just to you are they inconsiderate and rude just in certain situations so one of the things that we that i tell people is that we have to do an inventory of ourselves right how much can we tolerate this person right so accept this person for for the, who they are they're inconsiderate they're rude uh and sometimes this affects my energy um so Let's, I'm, in this, I'm assuming that you still want to have a relationship with them. How long can you tolerate this person? How, can, how long can you tolerate? And when I say how long, is it an hour? Is it two hours? Can you only tolerate them for you know, three or four hours? Can you tolerate them for a full day, for a full week? Right? Because we have to understand that, that when we talk about our boundaries, our personal boundaries, we have to understand that uh, and one of those boundaries is the energy that you're talking about. How much energy can I expend on this person? And this isn't just with the person that's inconsiderate and rude. This is with everybody, right? So when we check in with ourselves and we, let's say that you can only tolerate this person for three hours, then uphold to those boundaries. Let's say that that person wants to go on a road trip with you. That's too long for you to tolerate that person. You can't be in a car with someone that you can only tolerate for three hours, right? So if you can only tolerate them for three hours, hey, you know what? Um, thank you for inviting me to the road trip. Um, you know, I'm not available that weekend, but instead, you know, let's, um, let's go to this venue and go, let's go listen to some music or whatever the case is and stay within your, stay within your own personal limits of that person. You know, once, once that limit is up, you know, Hey, time for me to go home. Thank you for, thank you for hanging out or whatever the case is. But one of the things about emotional intelligence, true emotional intelligence is that it teaches you, you start to learn how to deal and how manu how to maneuver with difficult people. You know, so the reality of it is, is that we're that we have to learn how to uh, get along with people who are tough to get along with sometimes because we work with people, because we run into people who are inconsiderate and rude at the grocery store or whatever the case is. And we can't fight every single time something like that were to happen. So we need to check in with ourselves and, and we need to be proactive um, because one of the things about your person, your friend or family member who's inconsiderate and rude. They're probably doing the same thing over and over, right? There's certain there's a certain pattern that they're consistently going through, and so you kind of know the things and when they are inconsiderate and rude the most. And so when you begin to do that, and oh, okay, so this this person says it's their roommate, so uh, so there's a lot of conversations that that can be had, um, but also I still would uh, see how can I. Uh, you know, because especially when it's a roommate or someone that you're living with, 
it can be a challenge because sometimes when people come home, they might be having a rough day at work or whatever the case is. So uh, we want to have conversations with that person. We also want to check in with ourselves in terms of our own limits. Maybe um, you know that they're inconsiderate rude Tuesday through Thursday or whatever. Uh, and we want to cut down on the amount of time that we're spending with that person. Maybe we're spending a little bit more time with other people. Maybe we're spending a little bit more time in our room or away from them. Um, you know, and often, oftentimes I don't know the setup of your house or, or the, your living situation, but you can still be roommates and um, be in separate parts of the house or spend time with other people or by yourself or on the phone or doing other activities without involving your roommate. But uh, we want to begin to minimize the amount of time we're spending with that person. doesn't mean you have to give them silent treatment or anything like that. Um, but sometimes a conversation needs to be had as well. What if it's a parent being rude and inconsiderate to a teenager? Sometimes that's very difficult because because of the power dynamic. And sometimes the parent, uh, you can try having a conversation with that person uh, first. But as a teenager, you may not have a lot of the life skills necessary to be able to have that conversation. Uh, so maybe you practice with your uh, school guidance counselor for a little bit and you talk to them and you uh, kind of learn some some tools of how to present it to your to your parent um, but sometimes in situations parents don't don't realize that they're actually being rude to uh, rude to you right and so uh, again I don't know that I don't know if they're abusive or anything like that but um, but sometimes conversations are uh, can go a very long way because when you bring bring things to people's attention and they realize that their how their behavior is impacting you a lot of times that is enough to for them to uh, start making some changes let's see how to break through when your partner's first reaction is to put up a wall we have to pay attention not only to that person putting up a wall but also sometimes the way that we're approaching our partner might be one of the reasons why they're putting up a wall. So a lot of times people don't realize when we, when we lack self-awareness that we're doing and saying things. And I'm not saying that this is the case, but a lot of times we're doing and we're saying things that are causing our partner to put up a wall. And sometimes they don't know it. Sometimes you don't know it. We just, it, it just happens to be because of the pattern of behavior. For example, so I'm going to give you a very common scenario, right? So uh, chores, right? It's something that most couples either have or they do argue over pretty consistently. So let's just talk about the dishes. So let's say that you go to your partner and you say, and again, I'm not saying that you, maybe you're, Maybe you're a communication guru, right? But this is something that's very common. You go to your partner and you say, I'm always doing the dishes. You don't ever do the dishes. I can tell you right now, I don't care if they are the most emotionally intelligent person in the world. I can promise you that there's a wall that's going to be, the, that's going to go up, right? And not only is there a wall that's going to go up, but I can also promise you that the feedback that you're likely going to get is that, they're going to tell, come back very defensively and they're going to tell you all the times that they've done the dishes because of two words that you said in, the, in that sentence. And I'm not getting on anyone, just making a point because of two words that you said in that sentence, always and never. 
And they're going to say, what do you mean? I just did them last Saturday. What do you mean? I just did them last Tuesday. And they're going to bring up every single time that they've done them. And guess what? They are correct. They're 100% correct. They did do them last Tuesday. And, you're, and you are not correct. They do them sometimes. They may not do them as often as you would like, right? So that's a whole different conversation. So if we're going to learn how to communicate properly, we have to understand certain words are going to cause an, a natural reaction, boom, of people to respond defensively or to do exactly what you mentioned, to put up a wall. And this is the reason why communication and emotional intelligence is so important. So to change that conversation, we can change the dialogue from always and never to seems like and feels like. It seems like I'm doing the dishes majority of the time. It's starting to feel very overwhelming. Now I can promise you that in most situations in a healthy in a healthy relationship that most people care about the way that they're they're uh, person that their significant other feels. They don't want them to feel overwhelmed. They don't want them to always feel like they're doing the dishes all the time. And so now we can actually have a, a dialogue about what the real issue is that it's feeling is feeling overwhelming, overwhelmed, right? And so now, right, maybe we don't have as much of a wall. And so that person might say something like, Oh, you know what? I didn't know you were, you know, I didn't even realize that you were doing them this, you know, this often, or I just thought that you liked doing them because some people like doing certain chores. You see, you know, every time you did them, I noticed that you had your headphones in. I thought that that was just kind of how you kind of reset just kind of how I like mowing the grass or whatever the case is. Right. I don't have a problem doing the dishes more often. Right. And all of a sudden it changes the dialogue. Now, for those of you who might be struggling with that, the first time you do this may not work. The second time you do this may not work because there you may have been doing this for a significant period of time to where that person is just consistently on guard because they're so used to you coming at them. And again, not blaming any person, right? It's just kind of just we're just kind of unpacking and this is just a, a learning opportunity for people. The other thing that I do, uh, I don't do I don't work with couples anymore, but when I did. Um, a lot of things that a lot of things that I recommended for couple or I recommend for couples and still to this day that I do in the work I do with with, uh, with people on the one on ones is um, a lot of communication issues um, can be solved through a lot of things that we learn through business. So one of the things in business uh, that a lot of business owners do is what's called a SWOT analysis, S.W.O.T. This is something I work on with a lot of people I work with, um, whether it be dating, whether it be relationships, whether it be their own self um, self process of things that are happening. And SWAT stands for the S stands for strengths. W stands for weaknesses. The O stands for opportunities and the T stands for threats. So you can sit down with your partner and this is a great way for you to have maintenance within your relationship for you to. Uh, to kind of have check-ins with your partner. So, hey, what is what do you feel like are the strengths of our relationship? Well, I feel like we're really strong financially. You know, our kids are really healthy. The health of our relationship is really good in terms of our everyone's physical health. You know, and so you as a couple, you sit down and you talk about all the strengths. Um, w, what are the weaknesses in our relationship? Well, as a as a family, we're very unorganized. Um, 
at um, little junior is struggling in school right now. That's a weakness of ours too. Um, we have been lacking in communication. Uh, sometimes our house is disarray, right? We, we don't uphold chores and things of that nature. And so you go through and you start talking about all the weaknesses of the relationship. What are the, opportun uh, what are the opportunities? Well, there's opportunities for growth, um, for um, a new business opportunity or for promotion, or maybe we can do this. Uh, there's more opportunities for us to begin to travel. And you begin to go, go along, you begin to have dialogue about those things. What are the threats? What are the things that could potentially cause harm to our relationship that could potentially end everything, right? Well, I kind of feel like that person at your job is a little bit flirtatious. I noticed that, that, that ever since they started, that they text you more often. And I noticed that they are sending you more flirtatious emojis and things of that nature. And I feel like that person, you know, has the potential of trying to trying to get you uh, to sleep with them or whatever the case is, right? And you start to have dialogue about the things that you feel like could potentially threaten the relationship. And so this is a great way for you to, to not only have dialogue about your relationship, but a way for you to have balance with that conversation where you're not just talking about all the threats. You're not just talking about all the weaknesses. You're not just talking about things that are bothering you, but it's also a way for you to talk about the strengths, the things that are, things are, things are going good. Um, because that's important too. We have to have a balance in our relate in, in our conversations about relationships as well. And so let's see, Sammy said guilty. Most people are a lot of people are, um, when we talk about that type of conversation, other questions do we have? Speaking about speaking, how does one conquer the fear of speaking in public? You have to do it. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. You can start small. Uh, you can start doing things like what I'm doing now, going live, answering people's questions, um, posting videos. Uh, those are some ways, but we, we start small, right? And then you grow, you, you get bigger. So it might start out with you talking to um, to a blank screen. I remember, you know, I, I haven't always had nearly a million, nearly a million followers. I, you know, there was a point in time where I was struggling to grow on social media. Uh, I had to accept trolls. Um, you know, I had to accept the fact that one of the, one of the, the biggest fear when we talk about, so the biggest fear is, um, is public speaking, right? That's everyone's number one fear, but let's, Fear is always a secondary emotion. Let's dig a little bit deeper. What's the real issue? The real issue is that we're afraid that we're going to fail. We're afraid that we're not going to be accepted, that people aren't going to like us. And all of those are also true. So the way that I conquered my fear was that, so there's a handful of things that I did. So whenever I would post a video, um, a lot of people don't think that I have trolls. I have plenty of trolls. I have a lot of trolls and I can make a, I wouldn't even make a strong argument. When I very first started creating content years and years ago, it used to be that I had nothing but trolls in the beginning. And so one of the hard parts of that, and one of the things that I did was that every single time that I had a troll in my comment section, I posted 10 videos for every trolling comment that I, that I had. So it forced me to keep going, right? So someone would say something, someone would talk about the way I look, what I was talking about or whatever. And instead of me shutting down, which is what my natural, what I wanted to do, I, I had to, I had to re, um, 
recondition myself to go into the opposite direction to, and that's the reason. So if you guys go back to my earlier days on TikTok, you'll see that I po- I used to post between 10 and 20 times a day. And a lot of it was because I had a lot of trolls in the beginning. And so uh, it forced me to, uh, to create more videos and to do things regardless. The other thing that we have to understand uh, and is we have to understand good, healthy mental and emotional boundaries. So when we talk about mental and emotional boundaries, people are allowed not to like you. They don't have to like you, right? And that was one of the things that I had to sit with that it's okay for people not to like me. It's okay for people to think my videos are shit. It's completely okay. But for every person that thinks your videos are shit, there's gonna be just as many people who like your videos. And so I had to give people permission not to like me and to think my videos are shit or to uh, whatever. And the other thing, the the last thing that I'll leave you guys with when it comes to overcoming public speaking and things like that is that uh, we have to um, not only accept the fact that um, people aren't going to like you, but this also becomes a part of your journey, right? That it becomes a part of your journey and it becomes a part of your story. Right now, guess what? Years later, I've been posting content for, you know, over a decade at this point. I mean, a lot, not a lot of people knew about me in the beginning, but one, one of the things I had to accept is that, uh, that people needed to hear my story, right? People needed to hear my story. People needed to hear the things that, that, uh, that I was doing. And just because people didn't like me, didn't like the things I had to say, didn't like the things that I was teaching, doesn't mean that uh, that it's not valuable, right? And so I had to separate and I had to uh, understand that and give people permission. And people still, people still every once in a while troll me. I just don't give them any, I just don't pay them any attention. What if you're okay with public speaking, but not private speaking, like one-on-one conversation? So uh, oftentimes there's another deeper root fear there that you don't feel like you're safe. You're afraid, maybe you're afraid of conflict. Um, and so... The, so with both public speaking and with one-on-one conversations, one of the, the things, one of the other things that I would advise is to be proactive, right? Have those conversations. Like a lot of times what happens, regardless if we're talking about public or private speaking, because when, every time you think about it, there's this critical thought that starts coming through your mind, right? These critical thoughts that start coming in that, um, you know, one-on-one, they're going to cuss me out. They're not going to like me. They're going to think that I'm stupid. They're going to think that I'm dumb. Um, Someone's going to heckle me. Someone's going to do this. Someone's going to do that. Those critical thoughts are not you. Those are likely people who try to get you to stop, to to stop doing it, right? So that's the reason why to kind of circle back to some of the other things I was talking about. Between the trolls and my own critical thoughts, when you start to realize that those aren't your thoughts and also not only are those not your thoughts, but the people who didn't want you to succeed, place those thoughts in your head, right? By criticizing you, by by um, talking poorly to you, those sorts of things. And also the people who are trolling you, they want you to stop. And to hear, to get more understanding of this, I would download uh, my course um on uh, smear campaigns, right? So people who treat you like that and people who talk poorly to you want you to stop. They want you to stop creating videos, right? To kind of go back to what I was talking about, that's the reason why I posted more videos for every single troll that said something to me or every time I got a critical thought, I would make sure that I posted videos uh, because those people want you to stop. Those critical thoughts want you to stop and so you have to keep going. 
right? And so you, the only way to break through and break free from those things is to actually do it. Yeah, this is what people are talking about when you hear people say, lean into your fears and lean into certain emotions, you actually have to do it. But uh, you can do what's called a small pull, right? Maybe you start practicing with a friend or a family member first, right? Someone who you consider safe. Um, and then you just continue to build from there. Why am I afraid of conflict and or confrontations? Because at some point in time, um, either by the way that people treated you, your upbringing, your childhood, um, or a combination of those things, when you had conflict, you were felt unsafe, you know, based on people's poor reactions. Right, we have to understand that conflict is actually very healthy, right? Conflict and self-confrontations are very healthy um, in the right situation. People who have good, healthy emotional intelligence and boundaries, they are able to accept conflict. And yes, it's uncomfortable, but it actually helps the relationship become more authentic and it helps the relationship become very a lot more deeper, right? Uh, this is how people have good, healthy relationships is that they have healthy conflict and it allows for the, the relationship to to become more close. And that's where people actually get true intimacy from. Uh, you can't have true intimacy without conflict, without healthy conflict. But oftentimes when people have conflict, if people don't understand that, or if people have uh, an unhealthy personality or lack boundaries or have a lot of insecurities and may, you know, maybe have some toxicity to them, they see conflict as, uh, as an attack and they get very defensive. Um, and so if you experience that, especially if you experience that young, then it's created a dynamic where you think that conflict is unhealthy and you think that conflict means that there's something wrong with you, something wrong with the relationship. You might have a fear of rejection. So you're afraid of conflict. You're afraid of having the difficult conversations because if you bring this up, they might leave or they might abandon you. Uh, and so, uh, so instead of having conflict, you just act like everything is okay, but that doesn't work either. I avoid and stop talking to people who bully me. You should. People shouldn't be bullying you. Um, we have to understand that, yes, we do need to have difficult conversations and try to resolve conflict, but we shouldn't allow for people to bully or disrespect us. After an apology, I'm expected to just be okay, but I'm still upset about treatment. Is that unfair? Um, I'm not sure what you mean, which part is unfair, but yeah, you can. people can apologize and you can still... Um, you can still be affected by it just because someone apologizes doesn't mean that you just uh, that you're over it. Right. Sometimes it takes it takes a lot more time to get over and to get through things. And sometimes even after an apology, we're still uh, we still have still need time to process. So that is perfectly fine. So with all that being said, thank you guys very much. And I will talk to you soon. Yeah, that's what my father said. Dream big, mama told me dream big.